Okay, we're doing um, Shavuot for you Dalit today, fourteen. And before we actually start inside, let's let's review the sheet because the Gemara over here is going to be playing with um, a number of psukim, number of verses at the beginning of Parshat Achrimot. Achrimot um, discusses the Avodah, the service that the Kohen Gadol, that the high priest did on Yom Kippur, um, in great detail. So I didn't quote the whole parsha, but just a few psukim that the the Gemara um, will quote. So it, it says, Adat Yisrael, from the congregation of the Jewish people, you're gonna take these two goats. Right, you've been talking about this, I think, as a as a um, sin offering. And if you go to the next verse, <clears throat> it says Aaron et Parachatan and Aaron will approach the bull of uh, that, that that is also a sin offering, Asher Lo, that is his. And he'll atone on behalf of himself and on behalf of his household. So that approaching of our own, right, the rabbis understood that to mean that he would actually go up to the bull and he would make a vidoy, he would do a confessional. Okay? And then if you look five verses later, the Torah says exactly the same thing. Which the rabbis learned means that he would make a second confession on that same bull. And then it says, And he also um, would slaughter then that, um, that bow as well. That is his. If you also notice, what I highlighted in these two psukim is the phrase, Asher that is his. It says it three times. The Gemara will pick up on that. And then finally, there's another pasuk, but it says, And he would slaughter the, the, the goat that belongs to the people. And it will bring his blood. It goes on to describe what he does with the blood. He brings it into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, to the Holy of Holies. Okay, so those are the Pesukim we'll be um, throwing around. I also brought here a Braita that the Gemara is still discussing. It's from yesterday's Daf on Yud Gimel Amid Bey. It's said over there by the Sir Hanasa Bifnim, right? Remember the different goats, the three goats. So the goat that was brought on the inside, what we just described in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, it says, Enu mechaper ala kohanim. It does not give an atonement for the kohanim, only for the Yisraelim, but not for the kohanim. And how do we know that? Because the Pasuk that we just read, the last Pasuk, it says, Asher la'am. It's for the people. That's the regular people, the Yisraelim, not the kohanim. The Breitah continued and said, well, Yacho, I would have thought, lo aron, that they also, the Kohanim, would not get an atonement with the bull that Aaron brought. Shahari Kavar Namar, because it says over there, let's say the first time, it says, Asher lo, to him. Sounds like him, Aaron, the Kohen Gadol gets the atonement, not the credits of the Kohanim. And at this point, the bright that was really um, confounded because it turned out that there was no, nothing that the Kohanim were getting Kapara from. And um, the, ultimately, if you might remember, the, the Brayta um, said that no, that the Kohanim are par- part of the household of Aharon, because it says Beit Aharon, it was a Pasuk in Tehillim, we say on Shabbat morning, right, um, which tells us that all of the Kohanim included with Aharon. Okay, but basically to remember is that the the pasuk Am teaches you that by the goat it does not um, offer an atonement for the kohanim, and from Asher we thought that it w- the par the bull would not also would also not offer a an atonement for the kohanim. Okay, so the Gemara now is going to discuss this. So um, Rabbi Yogev did a favor for us. He he um, got us down to nine lines down. I think it's nine, if I'm not. 
mistaken. And it's the fifth word in line. It says Vahai. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the Gemara now asks on the first part of that Brayta. Vahai. Asher la'am lahachi huda'ata? Are you telling me that the verse, Asher la'am, that, for the, that is for the people, is coming to teach you that? To teach you that the Kohanim are excluded for the atonement of the goat? Hai mi but it's necessary, de ka'amarachmana, for what the merciful one said, refers to Hashem, of course, in the Torah, mida'am lahavi, that it has to come from the people, meaning that how, who purchases the seer, what funds does it come from, that goat? It comes from public funds. Makes sense, it's for them, for them to get a kapara, good morning, and therefore, Rabbi right, Rabbi. it comes from, right, good morning, nice to meet you. Okay, we're on Yudalit now for about now 11 lines down, and um, here, we'll refer to that. Okay, so anyway, the, the Gemara has this question, that we need the verse, Hashem to teach you that it comes from public funds, it can't teach you that the Kohanim are excluded from the atonement. So to that, the Gemara says, Noah, who, that law, that it comes from public funds, that can be derived from, it was the first pasuk that it was on the sheet, that says that this, both Seirim, both goats, come from the congregation of B'nai Yisrael. So from that pasuk we learn that it comes from public funds, and therefore we have the original verse, Asher La'am, to teach you that the Kohanim are excluded from the atonement of the goat. Good? Okay, now the Gemara asks a question on the second part of the Brayta, right? <clears throat> it says, Hi, Asher, Oh, Are you telling me that the Brayta could really think that the words Asher, that it belongs to him, to Aaron, are coming to exclude the rest of the Kohanim from atonement by the bull? But wait a minute, Hi, me by away. We need it, look at it, Tanya, for what was taught in the following Brayta. And the Brayta, um, the unwritten word of the Brayta is that it quotes the first mention of the phrase Asher Lo. If you look at those verses again in Vav and Yudalif, there's three mentions of Asher Lo. Okay, and this Brayta is now is going to pick up on why it is three times. So the un, unwritten part of that Brayta is from the first Asher Lo. Actually, I do see, uh, you might notice, on, I, you see, I have a different... Um, printing of you, but I have a little asterisk, and on the side, it actually makes a textual change, and it puts in the words Asher Lo there. You, maybe you have it as well. We okay. Yeah. yeah. So it really should say Asher Lo, the first times it is. Misha Lo, that teaches you that the Kohen Gadol has to purchase the bow with his own money. Okay? It, it costs money to be the Kohen Gadol. Okay? Misha Lo, who maybe? From his own money, he brings it. V'enu maybe Misha Tzibar. He can't bring it from the public funds. Then the Brayta continues, Yachol, I would think, Lo Yavi Mishal Tzibar, that yes, he can't bring it from public funds, She'ein HaTzibar Mitchaprimbo, because as we said before on Yud Gimel, that the rest of the Jewish people don't receive an atonement from this bow. So it makes sense, they shouldn't have to pay for it. Avol Yavi Mishal Echav HaKohanim, but he should be able to bring from the money of his brethren, the other Kohanim, why? She'echav HaKohanim Mitchaprimbo, because those Kohanim do, in fact, receive an atonement from this bowl. So they should have to pay. It should come from Kohanim's money. And therefore, Tafelam is answer for Loma, right? The, the Torah comes to teach us with the second mention, Asher Lo. It stretches that it is his, right, to tell you that, no, 
right, that it comes specifically from the Kohen Gadol's money. So the first Asher Lo excludes public funds. The second Asher Lo excludes Kohanim's funds. It comes specifically from the Kohen Gadol's funds. Yacho, the Brighter continues, I would think, Lo Yavi, yes, that is the improper way to do it. You should not bring it from money other than the Kohen Gadol's. However, Vim Havi, if he did use either public funds or Kohanim's funds, Kasher, I would think after the fact, what we call bidiavad, right? After the fact, it would be a kosher karma. And therefore, tafamit haman lomar, right? The Torah again stresses shuv again, ashir love. That is his. And we have a rule. This is a rule specifically in the realm of korbano, of sacrifices, where it says hakatav shana alavli akev, where the Torah right, repeats it to tell you that it's essential. Many times in the, right, in, in Sefer Vayikra, if the Torah says something once, that tells you that's the appropriate way to do the avoda, the, the service in the Beit HaMikdash. But when it says it a second time, it's telling you that it's absolutely essential, meaning that if you leave this out, you have not fulfilled your obligation. Right, if it says only once, then it's only the appropriate way to do it, but if you didn't do it, you still fulfill your obligation. The second time comes meaning to tell you... there's nobody ever out? That's right. Twice, you have it, you're gone. Right, exactly. Okay, so that's why he says Eshelo the third time to tell you that it's even Bidiyavad that doesn't work. But anyway, the point of this brighter was to show that the words Eshelo, all three of them, are coming to stress that it has to come from the Kohen Gadol's money. So how could the brighter previously on the previous page have thought that Eshelo was coming to exclude other Kohanim from the atonement of the bow? So to that, the Gemara gives really, I think, a brilliant answer. It says, you know what? Tana, the Tana, meaning the author of that previous Brita, Haki Kakashalai. This is what was he was questioning. This is what he thought we were going to learn from Ashola. My Shinak Bidaam the Lo Mechaper. Right? why is it any different than by the carbon that's brought um, by by I'm sorry, by the um, Right, by the, the people, right? The, the rest of the people, they don't get a kapara, they don't get an atonement from this carbon. The loka chasri be mamona. Yeah, because, yeah, I, I read it wrong, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it once again. My shana, why are the kohanim different? Bidaam, by the sacrifice that's brought on behalf of the people, the seir, the goat. The low mechaper, they don't receive an atonement there. You know why? It's very logical. The low kakasri bay mamona, because they're not losing any money on it. That money is coming from public funds, from the funds of the Jewish people, of the Israelim, not from specifically from the Kohanim. Dichtiv, as we, as we mentioned earlier on the page, asher la'am, it says it has to come from the people, right? Which simply, and the simple meaning of that means the people pay for it. So if that's the case, that the Kohanim are excluded from atonement from the seir, from the goat, because they're not paying money for it, well, bid'aharon nami, then it would make sense also for them to be excluded from the atonement of Aaron's um, carbon, which is the par, the bull, because loka kasri be'imamonu, they're not paying any money, right? And so... What, what, what the Gemara is now explaining is like this. You know, originally, when we read this Brita yesterday, I know I wasn't here, but like, when you read the Brita yesterday, you learned the Brita yesterday, right? And, and the Brita said, from the words, Asher Lo, I would think that's teaching you that Aaron gets the atonement, not the other Kohanim. 
That's not really what the Brighta meant. What the Brighta meant to say is, from the words of Asher Lo, we know, like the Brighta says today, on today's daf, that the Kohanim don't pay money for this carbon. It all comes from the money of the Kohen Gadol. Well, if the Kohen Gadol is only paying the money and the Kohanim are not, it would therefore make sense that the Kohanim would not receive an atonement. So when the, the bright over there, when it was quoting Asher Lo, was actually quoting it in the exact same way that this bright did. There's no question whatsoever. And just to finish the story, the Gemara here now recaps the, the answer of the bright was that the Kohanim do in fact receive an atonement from the bow of Aaron because for Ka'amar Kulan Kroyim Beito, because we said that they're all called his household, right? Because of the Pasuk and Tehillim Beit Aharon, and therefore, in fact, the Kohanim do receive an atonement from the par, from the bow. Okay, the Gemara now is going to um, go back again to yesterday's daf and talk about a machloka we had between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Huda. If I can ask you just to refer to the sheet for a moment, in the third section here, I, I did a little chart. The truth is, I filled it in according to the um, the um, conclusion of our Gemara, but some of it we do know already. And we had, um, remember there were three different Avero, three different categories of Avero we talked about. Yediyah betchil v'lobesopai, um, Right, you probably have bad memories of this already, right? Where the person had awareness at the beginning, <laughs> the morning, and he didn't have awareness at the end, and there was a concealment in between, and he either ate holy things or he, oh, thank you, or he entered the Beit HaMikdash, or in the second case is the opposite, and then there was Shar Averet, all other sins. So, for if you look at the category of Yisraelim, this is what's pretty clear. By, for Yisraelim, we said that the blood service of the inner goat takes care of the first case, where you are lacking awareness at the end. It doesn't really take care of it. It actually suspends any punishment until you might have that awareness. Okay, And then the second case, where you had the awareness at the end but not the beginning, then the blood service of the outer goat takes care of it, and then other of it are for the goat that gets thrown off the cliff. Those are the three goats. Okay, So we had a makulokit, a disagreement between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, if Kohanim also get a kapara, get an atonement from the the cliff one, right? The scapegoat, right? The goat that that's thrown off the cliff, right? The Rebbe Yehuda said he says the Kohanim are also included in that. So if you look under the bottom line, Shara Averot, other Averot, he says actually the vidoy. It was the confession that he did over the goat that's thrown off the cliff. Rebbe Yehuda says the Kohanim also get, but the Rebbe Shimon disagreed. He says no. He get the Kohanim receive their atonement for other Avero from actually the second vidoy, the second um, confession that said over the bull. Remember, we learned before that there were actually two confessions. Okay, we'll refer to the rest of the chart in a moment. But that you have to remember is that Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon disagree if Kohanim are included in the Sirah Mishtaleach in the goat that gets thrown off the cliff. So if you go back to the Gemara, we're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight lines up from the bottom before the end of the chapter, and it starts with the word Bishlomo. So the Gemara says, Bishlomo, Rabbi Shimon, it is all Bishalom, it's all good, right, according to Rabbi Shimon. That's why it's written in the Psukim in Ahremot, Tre Vidoyim. There are two times the Torah says that the Kohen Gadol makes a Vidoy, says a confession over the par. There's also Vidam, the Hapar. There's also then the Torah describes, I don't think we actually read 
those verses, but the Torah, we actually did a little bit, right, that the Torah, right, describes the, the blood service of the bull. So there are three different things done for kapara, for atonement. So why would you have three? So you could, right, he says, chad, one of them would be connected siranasab of them. One is for the kohanim corresponding to what the Yisraelim get from the inner goat, right? So if you look at my chart here at the end, according to Rabbi Shimon, the last column, right, he says that the blood of the par takes care of what the blood of the goat took care of. Actually, Rabbi Huda agrees with that as well, and which is the case where you were lacking in awareness at the end. And back in the Gemara, it says, The second atonement process by the bull, which is the first confession, it's a little confusing, right, takes care of what the, what the um, outer goat took care of for Yisraelim, which was the case where you're lacking in awareness, right, at the beginning. V'chad, and the third atonement process, which is the blood, K'neged Sirah right, takes care of what the goat that gets thrown off the cliff took care of for the Yisraelim, which is other Avera. So you see, according to Rabbi Shimon, we've accounted for all three atonement processes by the bull, the blood and both, both vidoyim, both um, confessions. But Ella, but Rabbi Yehuda, according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says that the Sirah Mishdalak, that the goat gets, that gets thrown off the cliff, also helps the Kohanim for Anshar Averat on other sins, then Trevi Doyim Vidam Hapar, that stands for Lamongli. Why do we need two com, um, um, confessions and the blood service? Bechad Vidoy Vidam Osagya. It should be sufficient to have just one Vidoy, one confession, and also the blood service. So, okay, so that's the question. According to Rabbi Huda, we have no place to put, no need for the second vidoy. And the Gemara gives what I think is really a beautiful answer. And the Gemara says, you know what? Echad lo vi echad lo One is for him, and one then is for his household. What does that mean? Right? For, meaning the, his household, we already said, includes the, all the kohanim. First he says a vidoy for himself, and then he says a vidoy for all the kohanim. That's why it is two vidoyim. What, what, why does he need to do that? Kedetana devei Rabbi Yishmael, as it was taught in the Beit Midrash of Rabbi Yishmael, chak huhi midat hadin no hege. This is the way that the principle of justice functions, as follows. Mutav, it is better. Yavo zakai, that an innocent person should come, v'yechaper and atone al hachayev, for those who are guilty. V'al yavo chayev, and a guilty person should not come to atone for those who are guilty. Meaning, that before the Kohanim can affect an atonement for the Kohanim, and then also for the rest of the Jewish people, he first has to be mechaper, he has to atone for himself. Right? So first he says a vidoy for himself, he says a confession for himself, he's now clear from his sins, hopefully, he's now innocent. Now he can come, and he could really be a better advocate for everybody else, he could achieve the atonement on behalf of for the Kohanim, and ultimately for the Jewish people. And um, I'm sure, you know, you're all, you know, really excited about, you know, Musaf on Yom Kippur, when we daven. I know, like, you know, it's a good time for a nap for some of us, right? But, you know, we go through the whole Avodah, right? So I was looking, right, in the, um, in, in the, in the Musaf, um, in the Machser, right? So we, we actually describe how the Kohen Gadol made 
right, these viduyam, he made these confessions. And if you read carefully the words, right, I'm going to read it in English, right, he, it's the first time it says, and so he would say, I beg of you, Hashem, I have erred, been iniquitous, and willfully sinned before you, I and my household, me and my household, household here means his family, right, on the next page, he does another one, he said the same thing, I've erred, etc., and he says, I and my household and the children of Aaron, first for him and his family, then he includes all of the Kohanim. Right? Those are the two confessions he makes on the par. He then later makes another um, vidoy, another confession on the seir, on the goat, before it gets thrown off the cliff. And there he says, right, etc., I sinned, right? Before you, your, you, right, your people, the family of Israel. Right? So there's a progression of the three. Right? So you'll pay attention next time. We'll keep you awake right? um, when we're um, repeating the Amidah uh, on uh, Musaf of Yom Kippur. Okay, so with that, we conclude the first chapter. Hadron Alach Shavuot Shaim, Hadron Alach Shavuot Shaim, Hadron Alach Shavuot Shaim. I'm Mazel Tov on that. Right? That's an accomplishment. That's not an easy parak. But um, before you relax, um, the second um, chapter is a continuation of Yediyot Tatumba of the awareness. <laughs> you finally get to oaths, right? What this Masech is about in the third chapter. Okay, okay. But for now, we're sticking with this. And the Mishnah begins by quoting, really, from the Mishnah in the first parak. Right? It says Yediyot Tatumba. Right? The awarenesses of impurity. Shtayim. There are two. Shehein Arba. There are four. Now you might remember um, from the opening day of Shvuah that. The language of two that are four, meaning that there's four cases, but two of them are explicit in the Torah, and the other two are more are, are not explicit. They are derived from the Pesukim. I just, so you should remember, right, I have in, if you refer to the Shin, the fourth section here, I have it out, the Shtayim, the two that are explicit, are where you forgot you were Tameh, you forgot that you were impure, and, but you remembered that what you were eating was sanctified food, but you, so you ate it, or you forgot you were Tameh, and you, for, and you remembered you were going into the Beit HaMikdash. Those are two explicit in the Torah. The two that are learned from derivation of the verses are where you, where you remembered you were Tameh, you're impure, but you didn't realize what you were eating was Kodesh, was sanctified food, or the fourth case, which is very difficult to really understand how this could have happened, but you remembered you were Tameh, but you didn't realize you were entering the Beit HaMikdash. Can you imagine? Not really as you're walking into the Beit HaMikdash. It's like, it's so hard to understand, but I guess it is possible. Okay? <laughs> um, I would hope that when I have the opportunity to walk into the Beit HaMikdash, I'll realize I'm in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, but those are, in all four cases, there was something concealed from, from you, and therefore, right, it, it leads to the obligation of bringing the carbon olive, right, the variable sin offering, where the, you, you bring based on your wealth, Right, if you can afford it, you bring animals. If you can't afford that, you bring birds. If you can't even afford that, you bring a flower offering. Okay, so back to the mission, the second line. It now discusses the four cases. So it says, Nitma, if a person became impure, Vyada, and he had an awareness of it. Okay, so there was an opening awareness. Vinelma Mimenu, and then it was concealed from him. Hatuma, the impurity, but he remembered that what he was eating now was sanctified food. And then, um, or, that's case number one, or he was concealed to him that he was eating sanctified food, but he remembered that he was impure. Or, a third case, he's really in good shape, he had an amnesia, he forgot he was Tameh, and he forgot that this was, right, sanctified food. 
and he ate the sanctified food, and he didn't realize it at the time, but after he ate it, he became aware of what he had forgotten, that he was Tameh, or was sanctified food, in all of these three cases, he has to bring a variable chatat, a variable sin offering. Or, nitma, he became Tameh, and he was aware of it, and then the fact that he was impure became concealed from him. And he remembered that he realized he was walking into the Beit HaMikdash. And then, that's, that's one case. The second case, or he remembered he was Tameh, but he was concealed from him that he was walking into the Beit HaMikdash. And he remembered that he was Tameh. Or, he, remembered, he forgot both that he was Tamei, and that he, this was the Beit HaMikdash, V'niknash mikdash, mikdash, and he entered into the Beit HaMikdash, V'lo Yada, and he didn't, was not aware of what he did, U'mishayatza, but then after he left the Beit HaMikdash, Yada became aware of what had happened, Harezeb Zeb He now has to bring the variable um, chatat, the variable sin offering. Now, it's very strange, this Mishnah, because the Mishnah began with the words, there are two that are four, meaning there's four cases. And if you're paying attention, it actually listed six cases, mm-hmm. right? So the, the answer for that is that there were, there were two parts. For the first part was about eating sanctified food. The second part is about entering the Beit HaMikdash, right? The, um, the, the third, there were three cases of, in each part. The third case was just a combination of the first two. Right, case one, you forgot you were talking. About. Case two, you forgot you were eating kodesh. The third case is you forgot both. So since the third case is just a combination of those two cases, it doesn't rate as in, in number as a new case. So even though you know the Mishnah listed it separately, but it really is just a subcategory of categories one and two, and therefore it's considered as though we have only four cases. Okay, continuing on at those two dots. Um, the Mishnah continues. Now, this uh, obligation to bring the variable um, sa- um, sin offering when you enter the Beit HaMikdash in the state of impurity is echad hanichnas la'azara, is whether you entered the actual azara. The azara is the courtyard of the Beit HaMikdash. That's where all the action takes place, right? And that's where a, a person who is impure cannot go. V'echad hanichnas l'tosefet azara. Or even if you entered into what was added onto the Azara, what does that refer to? So um, we, the mission is going to describe a fascinating thing that if if the Sanhedrin, right, if the Sanhedrin, the high court uh, deems it necessary, they can actually add on to the dimensions of the Beit Hamikdash. They can actually extend the Azara. They can extend the courtyard out. And once they do, and they do it according to the process as described in the Mishnah, that has a halacha of the Azara, and if a person who's Tomei enters it, he now is liable, right, for whatever he'll be liable for, and depending on the circumstances. Um, similarly, right, we know that the city of Yushalayim has some halachic, um, you know, ramifications as well. Yushalayim is in the news this week, okay, and, um, right, and it, it has halachic ramifications. For instance, there are certain korbano that we know can only be eaten in the Beit HaMikdash itself. Those were Kadshe Kadashim. But then there are other sacrifices known as Kadashim Kalem that could be eaten in all of Yerushalayim. So similarly, the, the, if Sanhedrin deemed it necessary, they could extend the boundaries of Yerushalayim and make it, long, uh, make it bigger. And if they do this, go through this process, again, 
that extension is halakhically considered Yushalayim. So that's what the Mishnah goes on to explain. She'ein mosifen al-ha'ir v'al-hazard. We cannot add on to the city of Yushalayim or onto the courtyards, unless you have the following ingredients. B'melech, the king has to consent, right, when we had a king. B'navi, there was the prophet, whoever the prophet was at the time, he had a consent. Again, when we had a prophet, the Urim Vitumim. The Urim Vitumim, you know, was a parchment, right, that was placed behind the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, and they used to ask questions of national importance, and we know that it would answer us miraculously. You know, for those who don't know, right, in the breastplate, right, it was made up of stones, and beneath each stone were the names of the tribes, and basically the, the stones would light up, and they would now put together the message from based on the letters that were written beneath the stone. They would have to unscramble it to come up with the message. This was, right, so they would have to ask the Urim Vitumim also if they could, if they could extend the Azara or the or Yerushalayim. V'sanhedrin shal shivan v'yachad and the and the high court of 71 judges also had the consent, at least the majority of them. And then the process was done, uvishtei todot. There were two carbon todot, of Thanksgiving sacrifices that had to be brought. And, you know, when, when you brought a Thanksgiving sacrifice, um, it, it was accompanied by 40 loaves of bread, a lot of bread. And um, you will see that part of the process was taking a loaf from each one of these Thanksgiving sacrifices and walking around with it. And then the Mishnah can use Ubishir and with song. What does that mean? So Rashi tells us just how patience. When we get to the Gemara, the Gemara will explain what that means. Okay, Ubeitin Mahalkin and the members of the Sanhedrin of the court would actually walk around the perimeter of the new area. Fishtei Todot Achram and the two um, Todot sacrifices would be behind them. Now, that doesn't mean the actual animals, it means a loaf, again, what I said, a loaf from each carbon Toda. For Kal Yisrael Achram and the old, uh, all the Jewish people behind it was a whole party. Everybody was marching around. Okay, we move on to Ahmed Bey. And the Mishnah continues, Hapinima, right? The inner amlof, Ne'echelet, would be eaten, Vahachitsona, and the outer one, Nisrefet, would be burned. Vakol Shalom Naset, Vakol Ego, and any time that they would try to add, and they wouldn't you go through this entire process that we just described, then Haniknas Lasham, anybody who entered there, even if they were in a state of impurity, Ain Chayev Allah, would not be liable at all for um, what they did. Okay, let's continue with the two dots. Yeah. It would seem that this process is sufficiently complex that there's an implication that it's not positive to do this. Yeah, you need a lot to right. do it. And it, probably because it, it, it expands the region in which you can do Averot. Yeah. Fundamentally. And so yeah. it's better... Yeah, better to leave it as it is. You know, the Gemara says in, another, in a couple other places where the designs of the Beit HaMikdash uh, were given by Hashem to the Navi, right? They were very specific. So it's like, it seems like we should leave it as it is. That would be better. There would have to be some really overriding reason why they would want to do this. Such an important thing. Um, I, I, I don't remember any instance in Tanakh where it describes anything like this. Um, so I could be wrong that there, maybe it did happen, but I, 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 it could be it never happened. Okay, the two dots, the Mishnah describes now a fascinating case. It says, Nitma Ba'azara. <laughs> Let's say, we've been talking about a person who I was coming. I guess you would need to expand. We've got to put all the computers in. 
you know, like uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, we have Yecheskel describes it, right? The Navi Yecheskel describes what the Beit Hamikdash will look like. The Bayit Shlisha, it's going to be a different design than the others, but maybe we're going to need something bigger. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Hopefully, uh, very soon. Okay. Now that Yerushalayim is the capital, anything can happen. So uh, I know, I know you live in an age of miracles. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I finally know where I was born. <laughs> Okay, so Enitma Ba'azara. So uh, until now, we've been talking about a person who was Tamei and he accidentally walked into the Azara. Well, what happens? This is a crazy case, but he's in the Azara. He entered in a state of purity and he somehow became impure while he was in the Azara. Hard to, again to imagine, but it happened. Vinelma Mimeno. And then right after he became Tamei, he knew about it, then he forgot. <laughs> if, if I may, I, I want yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two things. One is, I think. Theoretically, it doesn't matter if it could happen or not, because I think. The I mean, it is, is to be complete. It is possible. It is, is it, possible, but it is possible. It's I mean, one likely. God forbid somebody has a heart attack. Right. Okay, that's true. Somebody dies. Right. I mean, it could happen. Right. 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 And right. All of a sudden, lots of people become right. to man. So. Right. There's other examples you can come up with, also, but they're all going to be. They're all unlikely, but they it could happen. A hundred percent. So we have to discuss it. You're right. So Nitma Ba'azar, he became Tummy again in the in the Azar himself, and 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 then somehow he forgot that he was Tummy. He remembered that he was in the Beit HaMikdash. Or, or he forgot somehow he was in the Beit HaMikdash. But he remembered he was Tomei. Or, he forgot both. And then, then, now, before we say what he did, the obvious, obvious thing that he's supposed to do under those circumstances is get out of there as quick as possible. There are different doorways. He should find the quickest one, the shortest one, and, and leave as quick as possible. So what did he do? He either bowed down, he, he didn't actually bow, but he stayed the amount of time that it takes to bow. The Gemara is going to discuss exactly what that means. Or he went out the long way. Instead of going out, right, he went out that door instead of this door over here, right? In all of these cases, he's going to be liable because he stayed longer than he should have. If he left with the shortest um, route, Pator, then of course he's going to be exempt. Okay, so just hold your place here for a second. I want to refer back to the sheet because the Mishnah here does something that's very like odd. The Mishnah is going to quote from a Mishnah that I'm going to tell you coming attractions, guys. You know, like after we finish Shavuot, you go to Avodazara, and after Avodazara, you get to this little misactor called Horiot. When you're going to get to it, he said, oh, this is great. It's only f- like 13 pages. This is going to be easy, right? It's like one of the hardest mesechtot in Shas, okay? But it's very small. But Horio deals with a very interesting situation where Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin were made up of good people, but they were human beings, and therefore they were capable of making mistakes. So Sanhedrin ruled incorrectly about something, uh, uh, not only just something, but a serious something. They ruled incorrectly about a, a sin that would incur the punishment of karate, right? Which is, means, right, that a person really dies prematurely, right, God forbid, right, um, for transgressing this. So they made a mistake about this, and they permitted something they shunt of, and as a result, the majority of the Jewish people actually followed the ruling and transgressed. So now they realize the mistake, Sanhedrin is the one who's responsible. They have to bring a very special um, karban called the Parhelam Dover. It's a bull, okay? So... The the Misak that Horiyah deals with that, mistakes made by the Sanhedrin. So uh, I just want to quote from the mission over there in Chet Amabay, because our mission is going to discuss this. It says, It says, though, they're not going to be liable about 
the positive commandment regarding the Beit HaMikdash, even though there's a card. That's an exception to the rule. And the Gemara over there discusses why it's an exception. You'll get to it, like I said, coming attractions. But it goes on to say, right, But when it comes to a Nida, Nida, right, is a woman who had a period, and she's still Tamea, she's still impure, before she goes to the Mikvah. Right, uh, for if they make a mistake regarding nida, then they are going to be liable for this carbon. So now our Mishnah is going to refer to that Mishnah. So it says like this. So we're up to the word zoo. You see it? It's two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven lines on the last one line is zoo. Zoo, what we just described, he mitzvah nashesha be mikdash. That is the positive mitzvah of the Beit HaMikdash. That's an hedron would not make a mistake. In other words, if they made a mistake somehow, and they ruled that a person really could take his time coming out of the Beit HaMikdash, he can go the long way out. And as a result, the majority of the Jewish people somehow transgressed this, right? They would not have to bring a karban for that. This is an exception to that rule. And while we're here, while we're talking about the Mishnah Horiot, the Mishnah sees fit, our Mishnah sees fit to, to finish to talking about it. What's the case of the positive mitzvah regarding a woman who is in the status of being a nida? That the Sanhedrin would in fact be liable for, right? So it says, A man was having relations, intimate relations with his wife while she was in a state of tahara, purity. The Amrlo, and in the middle of the relationship, she says to him, Nitmaisi, right? I become impure. I I I become a Nita. I got my period. And so seemingly what should he do? He should withdraw immediately, right? And that's what he does. Who perish miad. He immediately re- um, withdraws. Chayev. He's actually going to be liable in that case. Why? Mifnei, because sheyitziato hana lo kabiato. The withdrawal is as pleasurable for him as was entering her body. Right? So what, what is he supposed to do in that case? He can't just stay there. He's supposed to wait until he no longer is erect. Right? And right, the organ grows limp. And then he's supposed to draw out. In that case, he won't, have, he won't derive pleasure from that act. That's what he's supposed to do. Not, he's supposed to sit still and just wait. And there's a relationship between this and leaving his mind. That, <coughs> right. right, because <coughs> they're both similar cases. The cases where you entered, excuse me, I'm not used to speaking so much, right, first thing in the morning. Okay, <laughs> the, um, right, the, uh, the, the, there's a, the, they're both cases where you entered an area in Beheter with permission, and while you're mm-hmm. there, something happened where, which disallows you from continuing to be there. In the case of the Beit HaMikdash, she became Tamei, or in the case of the relationship, right, the woman became a Nida. And staying long enough to bow, yeah. it serves a function, right. perhaps related to Hana'a. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because by intimacy, it's the Hana'a, it's the right. benefit, that you, the pleasure that you receive. And if you're in yeah. the yeah. Yeah. Uh, courtyard and you bow, you're fulfilling... Very you, good. You're, you're, Excellent. You know. I didn't think along that, but that's really... That's the... Um, there's a correspondence here between yes, two cases. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, regarding this, if Sanhedrin would have made a mistake on this, and they would have somehow ruled that the man can withdraw right away, and the majority of Jewish people somehow would have right, um, transgressed, they would, in fact, have to bring the Parhelam Dover, the special Korban. Okay. Continuing on. Okay. So, you know what? In order to understand this next piece of the Mishnah, let's just refer to two more Pesukim that I have here, second to last part. Uh, you might have done this. It's the end of Parshat Vayikra, where it discusses the variable um, sin offering. 
And it says, O nefesh atirtika bakol devar tamay, a soul that touched anything that was impure, o benivlat chaya tamea, or with the nevela, the carcass of an animal, o benivlat sheretz. You know what a sheretz is? A sheretz is a creeping um, creature, like a rodent, and there are eight of them that the Torah <coughs> identifies as being. Um, when, when they die, their carcasses give off tuma, give off impurity. So you touch one of these creeping things, that's tamei, vinela mimeno, and it becomes concealed from you, vahu tamei, and he's tamei v'ashem, and he's guilty, right? That's one case. Oh, the next pasuk says, ki yiga betumat adam, right? He touched some kind of tuma of a person, lakal tumat asher tamei ba, or any impurity that he could come tamei with, vinela mimeno, and it be concealed from him, vahu yada, and then he knows. So it says the word vanellam twice in these two pesukim. That's the key. Vanellam, vanellam. And that's what we're going to pick up on. So back to the Mishnah. Rabbi Elezer Omer. Ha sheretz. The mention of sheretz, the creeping thing, in this um, pasuk. Right? Vanellam imenu. And then it says, and he's, it's hidden from him. That, te- that juxtaposition teaches you. Alhelim sheretz chayim. Only for forgetting that you touched the sheretz. That you became tamay. For that you're liable. You do not become liable for forgetting that you were in the Beit HaMikdash. In other words, he disagrees what was said earlier on in the Mishnah. He says it's only when the concealment was regarding the Tumah, based on the juxtaposition of, of Sheretz and Nelam. Rabbi Akiva Omer, he says something similar. He says, It was concealed from him, and he was really Tameh. So again, from the juxtaposition of the word tamei to concealment, he learns the same thing. Alhelim tuma chayav only for the concealment of impurity you're liable. Veinu chayav alhelim mikdash, but not for the concealment of the base of mikdash. He says the same thing as Rebbe Lazar, but he learns it from a different part of the pasuk. And the Gemara will later describe how there really is a nafkamina, there is a difference, a practical difference between the two. Finally, Rabbi Yishmael, Omer Rabbi Yishmael says no. Vinelam vinelam. It says Vinelam twice, Wachayev Alhelam Tuma Vialhelam Mikdash. One is to tell you if you forget, right, that you were telling me, one is to forget that you were in the Beit HaMikdash, or by extension, you forget what you were eating was sanctified food as well. Okay, the Gemara. Now, if you remember the beginning of the Mishnah, it began by saying that there were four cases. But it really, that's the way I translated it because that's a simple reading of our Mishnah, but that's really not what the words meant. It said, Yediyat HaTuma. The awarenesses of Tuma were four. Now, if you think about it, the Mishnah described four cases. How many awarenesses do you need in each case? You need two. You need awareness before and awareness afterwards. So how many awarenesses there are? There's eight, right? There's eight. And the Gemara, oh, it's, it's Erev Hanukkah. We should talk about the number eight. Okay, so... Um, the, uh, the Gemara says, Amar Rapapa la'abaya. Rapapa said to Abaya, Shtayim shehein arba. There's two cases that are really four. Shtayim shehein sheish havian. Right? Actually, yeah, I, I jumped the gun. He actually asked that there were six sheish havian yudio tatuma. Right? There were six cases of awareness of tuma. How do you have that? Tehila v'sof, both at the beginning and the end. Yudio takodesh. Oh, sorry, you know what? I didn't read this properly. I'm going to go back. I'm sorry. Let's read it again. Amr Papa Gabay. Shtaim Shin Arba. Right? Two there. Four. Shtaim Shin Sheish Havian. There's two there or six. How with that? Yediyata Tuma Techila Visof. The knowledge that you were Tamei both at the beginning of the case and at the end. Yediyata Kodesh. The knowledge that this is sanctified food Techila Visof at the beginning and the end. Yediyat Mikdash Techila Visof. The knowledge that this is the Beit Mikdash both at the beginning and the end. That's six. 
So the Gemara turns around and says, wait a minute, what I make, according to your reasoning, your question, there's really eight, as I pointed out before. There's a case of forgetting that you were tame, that you were impure and eating sanctified food. And there's a case of forgetting your tame and entering the Beit HaMikdash. There's really eight, right? Both the Chiwa and Vesok, both at the beginning and the end. So the Gemara says, ha, that, lo kasha. That's not such a difficulty. Difficulty because you could say shame tuma achadhi, right? The designation of tuma is one, so you could really say it's six awarenesses. Okay, it's like you know you have subcategories, but six basic uh, cases of awareness. But mikol makom, nevertheless, sheets havian. There are six awarenesses, not four, as the Mishnah said. So how are we going to answer this? So the Gemara is going to have two answers for this. Amar Rab Papa. Rapapa responds to his own question. Right? It was, if you remember, it was Rapapa asking Abaya this question. Right? Rapapa now gives the response to his own answer. He says, Oh, I'm really Tom Nehavia. You know what? There really are eight awarenesses, as we tried to say a moment again. Why did the Mishnah only state four? Because he says, Arbai Kamaita. The four at the beginning, meaning the, the awarenesses that happen before you do the act of eating the sanctified food or entering the Beit HaMikdash, that awareness does not bring you to an obligation to bring a sacrifice. Right? At that point, once I have that awareness, I don't have to bring a sacrifice because I didn't do anything yet. So therefore, the Mishnah didn't list them, didn't consider them. But But by the four that are at the end, when I become, after I ate the Kodesh or I entered the Beit HaMikdash in a state of impurity, and then I realized that, oh, now I realize that I have to bring a karban, right? The might and legly day karban. They bring me to the obligation of bringing a sacrifice. Chachash, of those are listed. So four awarenesses that bring you to the obligation of sacrifice. That's one answer. Okay? The Gemara is going to be a second answer. Just to, the, to introduce this answer is that I'm going to mention to you that this idea <clears throat> of having an awareness at the beginning, an awareness at the end, is a novelty over here by Yudhiyatatuma, by the case of impurity. But in general, by other times you have an obligation for a carbon, all you have to have is that you, f- you didn't realize that you were doing something wrong, and then later you became aware of it. You don't need that initial awareness. So the, f- the awarenesses at the beginning are actually a chidush. It's a novelty over here by the case of Tuma. So bearing that in mind, we it can really understand... Is, it, it, really is odd that we have even been discussing this knowledge in the beginning because I'm in Jerusalem, I'm heading towards a temple, I go, oh, I'm Tameh, I should go into a mikvah before I get into the Azarah. Right. Okay, I don't have to do a korban at that point, I just have to go to the mikvah. Exactly. I walk by the mikvah, I forgot to, I still haven't done anything, maybe I'll go back to the mikvah. Only when I entered the temple did I do anything. So right. why did we even talk about it right, in the right. first place? So that's that is based on Sukim that says Vahu Yada, right? That it sounds like he had a knowledge from the beginning. Um, so that in other words, at, if if you never had an awareness at the beginning and you only became aware at the end, you actually would not bring the carbon olive You wouldn't bring the variable sin offering in this case. It's 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 a novelty it's over it's here that the Torah at the end of Parsha Vayikra tells us what. All of a sudden, I wake up and sort of become aware, and the other answer, oh, I forgot to go to the mikvah. Yeah, I, I knew I should have gone to the mikvah. <laughs> so, so somehow it all gets together. Yeah, but you had to have that awareness at the beginning in this case, even though you didn't do anything yet, and even though that doesn't 
you know, trigger the obligation at that point, but ultimately you're going to need that piece to, to trigger the obligation. Okay, so the Ika the Amri, there are those who say that Amr Papa, that this is what Rav Papa said. Rav Papa didn't give the previous answer, he gave this. That we owe him, he starts out the same way. Really, Tom Nehavian. There are eight cases of awareness. The Arba Kamaita, and this time he says the opposite. It's the first four. The late Nehu Bakoha Torah Kula. They don't exist by the rest of the Torah, as I just said. They're a chidush, they're a novelty over here. That's what the Mishnah here is calculated. Because the Mishnah comes to tell you what's unique about Yudhiyatatuma. And those are the four at the beginning. The Arba Batraita, the four awarenesses they have to have at the end, the Itnu Bakoha Torah they exist by the rest of Torah as well. Lo Kachashiv, they are not going to be um, they are not going to be included. Okay? And so, the, so either, we have two answers. Either the four are the last four, because they're the ones that actually trigger the obligation to bring a sacrifice, or it's the first four, because those are unique to the, um, the Tuma situation. Okay, by Rapapa. Now Rapapa asks a Shaiwa. He asks a question about this halacha. What about, what if you forgot the laws of Tuma? Right? In other words, you, you didn't... You didn't forget anything that you, you were Tommy, but you forgot about the laws of Tuma. Does that count as a concealment? So the Gemara wants to know, Hechidami, how is this case true? Iwema, if you're going to say, the lo yada isherets Tommy, eats Vardeya Tommy, you don't know. Now, the Torah, I said, listed eight Sharatim, eight creeping things. So, you know, the Sephardeya, you all know it's Sephardeya from the Pesach Seder, okay, the frog, is not one of the eight. A frog, even the carcass, does not give off tumor. But there are others that are similar to a frog. There's like a toad, a tzav, I think it's called in the Torah, right? It's like a toad. So let's say that a person got confused. He he, he actually touched um, the um, the one that gives off tumor, but he's not sure if when the Torah says it's a toad or it's the frog, the svardeya or it's the sheretz, the tzav, right? So maybe that that's what the Gemara is questioning. If he forgot that. So he says, that can't be. You know why? Zil kari beiravu. You know what we tell such a person? Go back to the schoolhouse. In other words, you know, every school child, right, learns the chumash. Even the parts, um, even in Vayikra, even the parts of Atuma, right, they learn the psukim. So, like, that's something that's explicit in the Torah. That's not something that, like, you know, you have to learn. Really. I mean, that you have to, like, consider. It's an explicit verse. So he says, that's not considered a concealment of knowledge. It's not. It can't be, because it's right there. It's something you should know. So even if I did forget it, it it's not considered a concealment. So, we, so um, the Gemara says, rather, we owe them really the yada but too much hurts. Okay, no, I knew that the, what the animal that I touched, the carcass I touched, I should say, gives off too much. But what happened was, is I touched a really small amount. And adasha, adasha is the size of a lentil, a tiny amount. Now, it happens to be that by a sheret, the size of a lentil is enough to transmit the tumah. But yada, the person didn't know ka'adasha, right? If that small amount of a lentil does give off tumah. My, what is the halacha? Kevin the yada, the metame sheretz ba'olam. Since he knows that this sheretz does give off, what he touched does give off tumah, yadiyahi. That's considered, therefore, knowledge at the beginning, which would then tr- ultimately trigger the um, 
the obligation to bring the variable um, sin offering. Odilma, or perhaps, since he did not know that, um, right, that this lentil gives off tumor or not, this lentil amount, lentil size of sheritz gives off tumor, that is in fact considered um, a concealment, meaning a concealment from the beginning. And there was never a knowledge that was really tummy. And therefore, I would not have to bring the variable sin offering. So that's the question. Is that knowledge? I know I touched the sherets, and I know the sherets gives off tuma, but I'm not sure if the size of the piece gives off tuma or not. Is that considered a knowledge at the beginning or not? And the Gemara says teku. Teku means let it stand. We, it remains a question. We're going to have to wait for an answer on that, guys. Okay, I know it's a burning question. You'll have trouble sleeping tonight about it. But um, we'll have to live with that. Okay, the Gemara goes on to ask another question. By Rabbi Yermia. Rabbi Yermia said, a fascinating question here, Ben Bavel, a person that grew up in Babylonia, or Baltimore for that matter. He's never been to Israel, never been to the Beit HaMikdash. All of Eretz Yisrael, and Baruch Hashem, he goes up to Eretz Yisrael, he makes Aliyah, right? Vinella mimenu makam HaMikdash. But it's concealed from him the place of the Beit HaMikdash. You know why? Because he's never been there. Mahu, what is the Halacha in that case? Is that considered a concealment of knowledge or not? So before the Gemara analyzes this question, one more um, um, time, go to the sheet. I made a little bit of a chart here based on um, our Mishnah and our previous Gemara and also a later Gemara, right? We had our Mishnah, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says, right, um, that, um, that you're, only, you're not going to be liable for Helam Mikdash. If you see in the third column, there's an X there. You're not going to be liable for that. But he does say, back on Daftawa, and I'm sure you all remember that, ancient history 10 days ago, that he requires a Yadi and awareness both at the beginning and at the end. Then you have Rabbi Yishmael. Rabbi Yishmael learns from the, the two verses, the, the, the repetition of the word Vinoam, that, that one is liable for Helam Mikdash, for forgetting that he's in the Beit HaMikdash. But the Gemara later says that therefore he does not require a Yadi at the beginning because the word, the, he uses the two Nelams for the Beit HaMikdash, and therefore you can't learn out that just, you need an, an awareness at the beginning. Finally, the Gemara is going to introduce Rabbi's opinion, which we quoted him earlier as well. He requires all of these things. He has different verses, a Yedi at the beginning, a Yedi at the end, and, a, and he says you're liable for concealment of knowledge of the Beit HaMikdash as well. So the Gemara uh, analyzes this question. The question, the person didn't know where the Beit HaMikdash was. Is that considered... Does he have a, he knows there is a Beit HaMikdash. So is it considered a knowledge at the beginning or not? So the Gemara says, Aliba Daman, according to whom are we asking the question? If it's according to Rabbi Kiva, the Hitaka, he truly needs, requires that there be a knowledge at the beginning. But he says you're not going to be liable for a forgetfulness, a concealness about the Beit HaMikdash. So that can't, right? So there's nothing to talk about it with him. If it's according to Rabbi Yishmael, the Mechaev al-Hel mikdash he said in our mission that one is liable for concealment of the Beit HaMikdash. But he doesn't require the awareness at the beginning, so it doesn't matter if this is considered, a, right, that he knew that there was a Beit HaMikdash or not. So the Gemara concludes, Lo, Sricha, no, it's necessary to question, Aliba the Rabbi, according to Rabbi, the Ba Yadiyah 
He requires knowledge at the beginning. And he also says you're liable for a concealment of the Beit HaMikdash. The Amr, and he says, Yediat Beit Rabo Shema Yadir. You might remember this from earlier on the Mesechta. He says even the knowledge of Beit Rabo, of, of what you learned in your Rebbe's home, right? When you were a child, right? And you're going to Cheder, right? You're going to school and you learn, right, this Halacha, that's enough. So now the question is, my, what is the halacha? Kevin the Yada, the Ika Mikdash Ba'olam, since he knew there was a Beit HaMikdash, he, just know, he didn't know where it was, right? Yudia he, that's considered knowledge. Odom, or perhaps, Kevin the Mekoma Lo Yada, since he didn't know the exact place, Halamahi, that was a concealment from the beginning. It's not a knowledge, it's not an awareness, and therefore he can never come to be obligated the variable um, sin offering. It's similar to the case we had before, a puppet's question about touching, right, a small piece of a sheritz. And once again, the Gemara says, Teiko, this stands as a question, and we don't know the answer. So the best way to avoid this all is to go to Eretz Israel and go visit the Makam Mikdash, so we'll all know, so um, then we won't have to worry about well, this question. Well, at least have Ali at the regal. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Hashem. We'll all go um, with Michelle. Good. So. Okay, thank you. That was uh, good timing. Perfect.